we definitely believe that having alternatives that are safer to consume that doesn't have contamination from the ocean is important for us. And also allowing more oysters to stay in the ocean and support the ecosystems for much longer. Green Hero. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Green Hero podcast. This is Ricard, founder of Green Hero, your go-to source for making plant-based eating easy and enjoyable. Each week, we'll be digging into the inspiring journeys of people who live a plant-based lifestyle to tease out the most effective and fun ways to add more plants to your life. Green Hero Today's guest is Nikita Mikkelsen, the founder and CEO of cell-based company Perlita Foods. Driven by her passion to help fight for human health and reversing climate change, Nikita decided to launch Perlita to build the future of seafood. Nikita and her team are on a mission to grow the universally loved oyster in a lab environment. In this way, we can keep more oysters in the ocean as their nature's own filtration system to clean water. Nikita, welcome and thank you for joining us on our podcast. How are things going and where are you calling in from today? Well, thank you so much for having me. Things are pretty well. It's very hot and humid here in the Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm calling in from. All right. So I've always been a huge fan of seafood and especially oysters, but being more and more plant-based, I don't really eat them much anymore. And when I heard about Perlita and what you're working on, I was like, I need to learn more about this. This might be a great fit for me. So maybe we can just jump straight into it. Like what brought you to like cell-based food and why oysters? Right. So that's basically two questions in one, right? So the first one is why oysters? So I grew up on the coast of Scandinavia. My childhood was filled with fresh seafood. And I, I know you're from Sweden as well, so you're probably familiar stuff like, you know, eel, crayfish, and oysters. And so, mm-hmm. you know, growing older, these are just more and more difficult to source and to come by. Like my grandma, it's, it's rare that we now get served fried eel. And likewise, some of the more famous oysters that the Limfjord's oysters are also more difficult to find and become more and more expensive. And so I really find a lot of value in having those cultural traditions, and those are very important to me. So the purpose is really to secure coastal delicacies for everyone, making sure that we still have those flavors and our, you know, our kids in the future have those flavors. And, you know, I'm also because I'm more and more plant-based myself. And so I feel like in seafood, that's really where it's lacking. I don't think that there are many great alternatives quite yet. So I wanted to be part of securing that future. And cell-based is to me, what is the most authentic replacement. Of course, the, the technology is still quite new, so we're still tackling and bringing down costs, but that is really how you can get the identical nutritional profile and the right flavor, and especially something like oyster that has such a complex flavor profile. You can sort of think of the cells like the blueprint of the flavor profile. It kind of gives you the recipe of all the different what do we call like different ingredients needed to produce the flavors. So that's really why cell-based makes a lot of sense to us. Mm, okay. And and how did you get into this? And are you a scientist yourself? Like, did you bring together a team? Like, how, how did it all come together? Yeah, so I'm not a scientist myself. I just have a lot of passion for the field. Before starting Polita, I was director of marketing at Symbiobeta. And for those not familiar with Symbiobeta, it's basically the hub of synthetic biology. So 
there I really got to work with a lot of different startups in different fields that are tackling all kinds of problems with synthetic biology. And with my passion for food, I, of course, fell in love with all this stuff going on in the future food space. And in particular, I really saw the promise in cell-based for the future, just the efficiency, the sustainability aspect. And, you know, of course, there's the animal cruelty aspect of it as well. You don't need to slaughter a cow. You can just use a little biopsy from a cow and then produce meat for the masses, right? So no, I don't have a science degree, love science, but have been able to assemble a very good team that is highly skilled and can help support, you know, the big vision. All right. And how does it work? Because, I mean, cell-based is a word that's thrown around in the media and people might read about it and it sounds like, oh, it's just food that's made in a lab. And is that really real food? Because it's not plants and it's not really meat. Like, how would you explain it to people what you guys do? Yeah, so it's quite complex, but we can try to simplify it a little bit. So, you know, imagine you take a small biopsy from the type of tissue that you're interested in growing. You then place it in a media that sort of replicates the natural environment that makes the cell grow and thrive and divide. And then depending on what type of cell type you're growing for us, we have adherent cells. So they want to attach to what we call a scaffold. In our case, this is a plant-based scaffold. So we do use plants to kind of build some kind of structure for the cells to attach to so they can continue to grow and be alive. And that's in the most simplest explanation how it works. All right. And when you say that the scaffolding, is is that kind of like almost like a bone structure? Is that just a cell structure that the scaffolding is? It's a matrix where you can have the cells attached. So you can do that in different types of technology, something that we're still experimenting with how it's going to work best for us. Mm, okay. And when you kind of are digging into oysters, for example, I know like oysters are, it's like wine, right? It's like the oysters from the West Coast, the East Coast, from Scandinavia, they all taste very differently. So is that also something that you're looking into how to create these different varieties? Or currently, is it just to kind of get it right, like the oyster itself? So for us, we're starting with, you know, the most palatable flavor, so to speak. So like some of the more popular flavors to just really get it out to more people that are curious. I think that that's also perhaps the audience that are more open towards lab-grown oysters or alternative oysters made from plants. But we have had several oyster sommeliers reach out to us that are really interested in the aspect of kind of, well, can you create this rare flavor or this one that you only get in France? And, you know, it really depends upon the storing capabilities of the oysters species, Mm -hmm. as well as what they eat, right? Like the water salinity, the type of algae that they're exposed to. So there are a few different things that we can sort of study there and try to replicate whatever flavor profile it is. In the beginning, we'll start with just more a basic flavor or I don't know if we call it basic if they're still complex right yeah but then from there kind of you know play with some different notes Hmm, interesting and I mean I've talked to some people that have a cell-based company before and they have been kind of explaining to me a little bit how it works that first we are kind of growing maybe like I think they were calling it like a mixed products with maybe some cell grown I think meat, and then they were doing like maybe combine that with mushroom, and then they were like going over to like soft tissue. And then they say in the longer run, it would be you could even create the bone and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I'm very curious, like where you are right now and where you, how you think like the roadmap are for you guys. Is it just, 
is it a tissue that you're creating or is it like the entire texture like of an oyster right now? So right now, we're still uh, early stage in exploring things. So we are still establishing our cell lines. We have so far isolated seven different tissue types from both wild and farmed oysters. So we have quite a few that we are targeting to kind of see which ones are the most responsible for flavor, nutrition, and maybe texture as well. But we're doing the same thing that many other of them are doing, this hybrid model to really utilize plants because they also help bring down the cost of the product and can really, again, support both uh, flavor and texture. We have had a great success with our plant-based prototype, which will later function as the scaffold. So that's actually going to be our first product is just simply our plant-based version. And then as we continue to scale up our sale line and really have enough and have immortalized them, that's when we then sort of I guess, bring it together. And for, for people who's listening as well, you're not growing like the shell of the oyster. Is it, it's just the oyster itself, right? It is just the oyster meat. Yeah, we're not growing the shell. And so I think it's a fun fact, but in North Carolina, it's actually legal to throw out oyster shells in landfill. You have to mm. recycle them. So we don't really want to sort of feed into that problem. So we're going to have a shell that is biodegradable, and we also can avoid shucking it. I know that you know when we work with oysters in the lab and my team has to shuck them, I almost have a heart attack. I'm so scared someone's going to cut themselves. Or <laughs> So we want to avoid that. I think that is, you know, from a sort of user-friendly perspective, to avoid that might be something that makes it a little more attractive for people to serve it because it's a it's not as scary, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So how would that be like the presentation then? Maybe I'm like jumping a little bit ahead in the future, but like how would the presentation be like you you get like the oyster you create and people would have like a shell or like a little plate that they would kind of chuck it from? Is that kind yeah, of the so- idea? Oh, not chuck it or <laughs> have it from. We're, we're still experimenting a little bit with exactly what the shell is going to end up being made of. It depends a little bit upon just the, the qualities that we want out of the product, how important different aspects of how to serve it is. But it's going to be something biodegradable. It's going to be colorful, branded, and just a simple film on top that you peel off. Our hopes is, you know, we're looking into different types of technologies so that it's all, you know, natural, natural products that are comprising you know, the shell and the film. Mm-hmm. But still, it's still experimenting with it because right now we're sort of going from benchtop to, to pilot, kind of scaling up our prototypes. So it will depend a little bit upon the final recipe, what we're able to do with the packaging as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, it's very interesting because oysters have such a presentation when you eat it as well, right? Like yes. it's on the half shell, it's like on a tray of ice and maybe it comes with something. So exactly. the presentation feels like a... A big thing that it's not like ground beef that you know, like Agreed. it's just something you can like do whatever you want with, right? Yeah, which makes it such a fun challenge too, right? Like why not make it even more celebratory and pretty and, you know, make it something really fun that stands out that people can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So speak to me a little bit more like where are you guys right now? Because you say you're an early startup. So what are you working on? And like in a more like kind of tangible for so people understand where you're at. Sure. So we're currently, we have our plant-based prototype that we are scaling up so we can start, you know, here in the early fall at least, uh, have some samples ready and kind of start presenting the applications in a few different recipes that we have ready as well, just to kind of showcase, 
you know, all the different ways you can cook with oysters. We're also scaling up our cell line. An oyster cell line has not been established yet. So it is a very tricky cell line to immortalize. And immortalize is when you basically ensure that the cells can grow virtually forever. Mm-hmm. It kind of, that is what makes cell-based so attractive, right? Like why you can start with a little biopsy and kind of have endless supply. But that's where we're at with that. And it's difficult to immortalize the cell and just oysters are so contaminated to begin with. So there's mm. a fine line in cleaning the cells properly and also not killing them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Man, that sounds, it's a complicated thing. And I also heard that when you talk about the cell line and you call it isolating the cells. Yes. It's like... I heard from some people were doing this when they were working with meat. They were saying as well, what we are looking at is basically we extract the cells, we create these, and we are looking how many times we can multiply them before they kind of break down. And they were also talking about like monitoring the the health also of the, the lifespan of the animal as well. So is that something you do with oysters as well? You extract cells and then you kind of keep the oysters and like check them out. Are they healthy for their lifespan or... How how does that work? You mean the original oyster that we get the sample from? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't actually know even the lifespan of an oyster. Maybe it's like a day or something. I have no idea. Like how long an oyster can live? Yeah. Oh, so it depends a little bit. Wild oysters can live in the ocean for up to 20 years, which is Mm, pretty incredible. When we farm them, we typically harvest them after one to two years, sometimes three, once they reach adult size. So, and for listeners, oysters are ecosystem warriors that help filtering water and with carbon sequestration. So they're awesome to have in the water. So, you know, if we can get a few more years out of more of them, that would be great for us because we get cleaner waters. And if you pull them from the water and you put them on ice, the shelf life is around 10 days to two weeks. But I would highly suggest people that you eat them as soon as possible because working with them in a lab, they get pretty dirty pretty quick. Mm. And, you know, ideally when we have worked with them, and we start with, you know, I, it's, we need to dissect them in order to get all the different tissues that we're interested in. If we wait more than a few days, they become too contaminated to really work with. So it is, mm-hmm. uh, you guys work kind of fast. So for people still eating oysters after this episode, I highly recommend eating them as soon as you get them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's also like, pretty curious. Will your product be like a fresh product or will it be a canned product? Like, how would that work? Yeah, so the product's, we are working on right now, we have the half-shell oysters, basically the oyster meat that is fresh. We're still playing a little bit with the idea of how to best store it. Our goal is something that is frozen and then you thought just because that would extend the shelf life. And that is really where we also see a huge advantage on creating an alternative product, right? Like having something that is much more shelf-stable than they currently are. We can kind of make this coastal delicacy accessible to way more people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how, you know, an ideal way of serving it. And then we also are working on a fried version. Mm, okay. So you can have, you know, put fried oysters in a sandwich or just serve it with some tartar sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. And how are you thinking to start with this? Is it going to be as well, like more catered towards restaurant or is direct to consumer what you're thinking? It's like, where would people access these? So we have seen great success with people working with collaborating with restaurants. And we I think this product is great for that type of strategy as well as a go-to-market strategy. You kind of can 
you know, educate your consumers a little bit about the product and get them interested and curious about learning about it in the first place by kind of building that FOMO and they kind of have to seek it out. And you have service that can kind of tell them a little information about it if they're curious to learn more about it. And then also you can get, I think you can get great feedback this way as well, both from chefs as well as consumers that are sitting in the restaurants eating it, right? So I think that's a great way to kind of launch the product. We do want to be a direct-to-consumer brand. That's our goal. So whether that means that we first start with like an online like e-shop type thing or we just go directly and seek out stores, that will depend a little bit upon, you know, our success and traction. But I see both those things as great ways of getting it out there. Yeah, 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 of course. And have you had anybody from the public try it out? Is it like there's a product to try? Not yet. It's just the team here <laughs> that are <laughs> okay. testing and trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how is that? Like, what are you seeing like the roadmap for you guys to kind of have something that you can have people to test? So we do currently have a tasting wait list on our website as well, where people can sign up to try. And as soon as we open up for tastings, because that's, of course, also on our map, will most likely be more local just to bring down the costs for us to kind of host these type of tasting events. But we will have tastings ready here in the fall as well mm. for our plant-based version. Ah, for Not the plant-based version. That will, that will take a little longer. <laughs> okay, okay. So figuring out first just how to grow these cells, how is the scaling afterwards? Because that also seems to be like a challenge with cell-based still that... It's like, okay, we have created this, but now like, how do we scale it to an affordable product as well? Is that something that, yes, we, it's on our radar, but it's not really important for us at this point? I think it's definitely something that is on our mind when we think about how we want to do things. Because it is important to think, you know, something that works on benchtop might not work pilot scale. Luckily, we are in a time where a lot more companies are coming into the supply chain and helping to bring down costs and making things more efficient and easy. So a lot more companies within the supply chain and a lot more investments going into the supply chain as well to kind of help support in accelerating cell base as well as just bringing down the cost and, you know, bring it to market sooner. Mm. And these companies coming into the supply chain, are you meaning them, they are the producers that would come in and like help to produce or are distributor? Yeah, I mean... So before, or like a few years ago, a lot of cell-based companies would do most things in-house. Now we have more companies kind of stepping in, helping with media formulation, helping to design different, you know, bioreactors, helping with sort of process engineering. So there's many more companies stepping in and kind of, it's becoming more horizontal, whereas before it was more vertical. Mm, okay. And what do you think the challenge is for cell-based food in the market? Like, do you think that people's perception of it just being in the lab and they're like, well, oh, it sounds really strange. It's not natural. But still, I mean, like there's so many products already. I mean, beer is almost made in a lab as well. So I'm wondering, like, how do you think like the perception from the public is as well? Yeah, I think that's so interesting. It is interesting you bring up beer because that's something that I think about a lot as well. It's like, well, that's basically grown in a lab, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think consumer perception plays a, a big role in just their, getting their acceptance. I think what's interesting is that a lot of consumers have this idea, oh my God, it's you know, it's it's lab grown. It's It must be Frankenstein food. I can't trust it. Whereas in reality, food grown in a lab is much cleaner and safer. It's sterile start to finish. You will know immediately if there's contamination. You won't get any contaminated food from a lab. Whereas 
I don't think many consumers know even what goes on, you know, in a, like in a slaughterhouse, right? Or in a fish farm where things might not be as up to a standard, perhaps as in a lab, because we're basically borrowing our technology from pharmaceuticals or like yeah. the big pharma industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's definitely that because I'm, I'm also thinking just like, it feels like it's still like a gray zone mm-hmm. just because it's not plant and it's not meat and it's this thing in the lab. But And how do you think like the the market share will look like for cell-based meats and and maybe just products in general, like what you guys are doing as well, like time-wise and like what a big of a chunk will it take for in the market? And also like what's the importance of really transitioning in towards this to be able to create like a sustainable food system for us when we are so many people on this planet right now? I mean, for me, cell-based is not if, it's when. I'm trying to remember, there was a report by BCG and I believe they said that, I'm trying to remember when it is, I think they said around in 2031 that lab or cell base will reach price parity. Mm, okay. I want to say maybe sooner. And I think, you know, for these type of technologies to really make an impact, what the most important is that the cost comes down and that the taste is right. Mm. And I think as soon as we get the taste right and we get the the price down and maybe we can even beat, you know, the price of, you know, currently meat is, you know, the prices are going up and the prices for cell base and plant is going down. So eventually, I, you know, we'll beat it. I think as soon as we get the taste right and the price right, I think that many more consumers will be accepting of the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, everything that we do have an impact on our environment and emissions and whatnot, but how would you compare like the actual oyster industry right now to what cell-based oysters would be? Like, what would the footprint be for on the environment, like if it is in a comparative way? Yeah, I think that's why it gets a little bit tricky to, you know, how like sort of deciding on exactly what you want to think about or what you want to consider when you talk about environmental impact, you know, because it can be quite broad you can or you can be really small if you only focus on greenhouse gases maybe it's difficult to quite define but if you also consider you know biodiversity or you know making sure that we have alternatives that are safe to consume that's another aspect so i think sometimes it's very easy for people to want simple problems and simple solutions but in reality stuff for instance like ecosystems is much more complex than that it's really you can't really oversimplify it. So we definitely believe that having alternatives that are safer to consume that doesn't have contamination from the ocean is important for us. And also allowing more oysters to stay in the ocean and support the ecosystems in for much longer. For instance, some of the farms, if they don't engineer them the right way, they can't be sort of causing some disturbances for other species living there in the ecosystems. I see, I see, I see. So what's next now in the this coming year for you guys? You say like to try to get people to test this. It's like, what's the what can people expect from you guys? So and then uh, by the end of the year, we'll definitely have tastings and some collaborations and some recipes out. I really hope that we find the right partners that can help us scale up fast enough and large enough in order to bring a, a product to market as well. And then continuing to just growing and scaling up our cell line. Okay, I got it, got it. So in the space of cell-based food, who impresses you at the moment? Like, who do you think is doing some some really cool work? 
I definitely think I see uh, Shook Meats are doing awesome things. Uh, I know they recently established their plant, or I think they just launched it as well. And I think that they're opening up for some uh, tastings. So I think that's awesome. And I know they're pushing hard as well to sort of have maybe some joint events as well for people to try different types of cell-based products. I also think that Upside Foods are doing an awesome job in telling the story of the field and really pushing forward the science in the industry, making, you know, making it much more digestible for consumers to understand it and be accepting of it. Yeah, I see, I see. So where can people find you online? I, I know you said before that you can they can sign up for tastings. So let's let's hear where they can find you. They could go to our website, perlitafoods.com, where they can find our tastings. It's the blue dot right at the top. And they can also, you know, they can always reach out to me, to me personally on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Nikita Michelson. We also have a LinkedIn, Polita Foods, and it goes the same all, all across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything. All right. Okay, people. So now you know, Polita Foods everywhere on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> all right, Nikita, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. That was our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Green Hero Podcast was produced by Andrew Rojek and I'm your host, Ricard Bjorkdahl. I'll see you next week for another conversation from our colorful plant-based world. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast or share this episode with a friend. If you haven't already, you can also find Green Hero in the App Store. Download our app and start enjoying a plant-based lifestyle today. You can also find us on the web at the URL greenhero.life and on Twitter and Instagram where we operate under the handle Green Hero Life. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye.